0: What's up everybody, my name is Dustin Rubio, part of the Limitless Leadership team and youth pastor at City Church Swansea and this is the Limitless Leadership Podcast, a conversation designed to help youth leaders connect, think and grow. Hi, my name's Tim Alford, National Director of Limitless and welcome to a very special edition of the Limitless leadership podcast. This time, we're bringing you a session from Limitless Leaders, our national gathering of youth leaders from across the Limitless community, where we get to hear from Dan Blythe, the youth and young adults pastor at Hillsong London. He brought to us a fantastic session at Limitless Leaders about Michelin Star Youth Ministry. If you're a youth leader, you're going to love this session. There's so much good stuff in it. So make sure you've got a notepad ready. And enjoy Dan Blythe. Um, just to give you a little bit of um, background, uh, my parents uh, got divorced when I was age 11. They weren't Christian. My mum had a Catholic upbringing. My dad was a strong atheist. They, uh, they got divorced and then uh, my mum uh, got taken to a church by one of her friends in Horsham called Kingdom Faith and uh, my mum encountered Jesus there. Uh, Two years later, my dad was traveling in Australia randomly. Someone took him to church. He encountered Jesus. Within two years after the divorce, both my parents, passionate about Jesus Christ, remarried Christian partners, got involved in the local church, still involved in the same local church today. Pretty crazy. You know, the world will say that divorce equals dysfunctional family, but actually, as we know, Romans 8 28, God can turn all things around for good. But it's funny, age 11, Even though I knew God was real because I saw the change in my parents' life, uh, I didn't want a relationship with them because all I saw was the rules. I saw the thou shall nots rather than the thou shalls. And in the churches that my mom and my dad were part of, there was no no youth ministry. Like there was some random games, chubby bunnies. There was the God slot. Uh, but there was no role models for me. There was people who cared about me, but no one who could communicate the gospel to me effectively so I could relate it to my life. So my teenage years, I was far from God, uh, getting drunk most weekends, getting into fights most weekends. And my role models were uh, my best mates. My, my, uh, there was 14 of us. We all looked like David Beckham. It was a, it was a sad affair. Um, but anyway, I ended up going um, on a lad's holiday to Kavos. Don't ever go there. It's terrible. And um, ended up getting in one massive fight. And uh, to cut the story short, I ended up getting beaten up. And my, my mates, the lads who I trusted, just sort of bailed and left me to get beaten up. I had four stitches on my head. My ribs were fractured, blood pouring down my face. I remember just thinking, man, what am I doing with my life? Came home, turned 18, got all my birthday money together. I said, I'm just going to do a gap year in Australia. I'm just going to go and party, party hard, enjoy life. Got to Australia. The first person I met on the first day he was a Christian. Ordinary, everyday Christian looked like everybody in the gathered, everyone in the room here. Nothing weird, but who just uh, he just invited me out to a load of stuff. Invited me boxing, invited me surfing, invited me to a small group, and then after spending one week with him, he invited me to church on Sunday. And I wanted to go to church on Sunday because I could see what his life was about. I lived for the weekend, he lived for something much greater, I lived for the moment, he lived for significance, and when I pressed him, he simply said it was Jesus. So I went to church with him that Sunday, made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, best decision of my life. Did two years of Bible college, Bible college was more like a detox for me. My life was so far from God, it took me quite a quite a season to like get rid of some of the... Let's just say some of the rubbish, some of the issues, but um, thank God it was a church of grace. And if it wasn't for the leaders who spoke truth and life into me, I definitely wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. I think it was in the second year of Bible college, I felt God say, come back to the UK. Actually, um, you had no youth ministry when your parents got saved. Why don't you make a difference back in London, back in England? So. That's what I did after Bible college, came back to the UK, didn't know any churches. So I opened up Christianity magazine, which my mum gave me. And at the back, if you haven't realized, I know you do. But anyway, there's loads of jobs at the back. And uh, straight away, you look at the salaries. No, (laughs) straight away, you look at the city. And um, I remember one stood out and it was just like, why don't you come? It says, come to Canterbury, be part of a thriving church, um, passionate about youth ministry. So I went for the interview. And uh, the interview was the worst thing I've ever experienced in my life. It was two hours. The pastor was um, a sensationist, so he doesn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Um, Calvinist, I'd say virgin on the end of hyper-Calvinist. I've just come from a Pentecostal, charismatic church. I thought everyone's just like full of hope and life all the time. Um, And I sat in this interview, I'm like, no way do I ever want to come and work for this church. But then the second half of it was I had to go to Pizza Hut with the 15 youth that are part of the youth ministry. I went to Pizza Heart and my heart just broke for those 15 young people. And I knew I had, to, I had to move to Canterbury. I had to be part of that youth ministry. So that's what I did for four years. And uh, that was an evangelical church. We partnered with a Baptist church, a United Reformed church, a Frontiers church, and a Vineyard church. And we did youth every Friday night, interchurch church stuff. And then I had my first eye-opening experience of what inter-church stuff looks like. And it's messy and it's complicated, but yet we can agree on that one thing, which is Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose again, and we are all covered by his grace. And worship seemed to unite everybody, and it was the most incredible experience for me. Then I met my wife at Soul Survivor, and uh, obviously that's why everyone goes to Soul Survivor. Uh, Back in the day, they called it Momentum, and uh, she was at Hillsong. So uh, I said, hey, well, I'm a youth pastor here, and she's like, well, I'm at Hillsong, so we compromised, <laughs> we went to Hillsong, <laughs> she won. <laughs> and uh, I just got involved, and serving, looking after young adults, then I got offered a job, uh, which was to look after the 25 plus community, did that for about two years, and uh, then they realized that I was much more of a youth pastor than a 25 plus communicator, pastor, whatever, and so they said, how about you head up the youth and young adult ministry across our campuses, and that's what I do now, and I love every single minute of it, but I just wanted uh, to tell you that, so you don't think I've just read the Hillsong Youth Manual, and that's what I'm sharing today. I, uh, you know, I'm aware of where youth ministries are in the UK, and I'm more excited than ever about what God is doing. Um, let me show you this little video. This is um, a highlights video of, uh, of the last year in our youth ministry, Then I'll talk about it. So um, so there's some of the highlights from the last year. And I'll show you that because that's all most people will see of our youth ministry, the highlights. And uh, Google have just called us Generation C, which stands for the Connected Generation. And it doesn't really have much to do with your age. It's more to do with your smartphone. And uh, you can go on social media. You can see photos of our youth ministry. You can see videos like that. And you see our highlights. And you don't see our private struggles. And uh, I just wanted to start off just by saying I feel like one of the biggest dangers today is that we all get on social media and we look at everybody else's youth groups, youth ministries, youth leadership, and then we compare our private struggles to everybody else's showreel that they put on social media. And then we try to start copying everybody else because we think that's how you do youth ministry, even though we've got no idea like why they're doing it like that and the reason behind it. And so... You know, really today I was hoping that we could be a little bit more vulnerable and we could be honest and open and um, maybe we'll just share some of the truths that goes on behind the scenes in youth ministry. And when we do the Q&A, please, like no question is controversial, no question is, is I'm not up for sharing it. Like if today's just like real raw youth ministry and let's just get into it from that point of view, we're definitely not saying uh, we're killing it because it is easy to, to look at the year and go, wow, look how much fruit. But then if you look at how many young people don't know Jesus, and you look at the stats, you look at the numbers, it's that balance of having hope, having faith, being aware of the massive need. And actually, we're not feeling like we're even denting London, but then still keep going with massive hope and massive faith. And so we're coming at it from that. I want to share with you today, it's called the Michelin Star Youth Ministry. The Michelin Star Youth Ministry. Um, I wanted us to come at this from a different angle today. Uh, I know I could have got up here with the six points of of youth ministry, but I kind of wanted to maybe stretch your imagination a little bit and push your creativity. Um, I'm a firm believer that uh, there's not such a thing as creative people. (laughs) Sometimes we think that if you wear skinny jeans, play an instrument, um, take photos, um, or do art, you're creative and everybody else is pastoral. (laughs) I think... uh, I think, I think God is creative because he created the world and every, everything in it, as it says in Genesis 1 verses 1, and then um, he created us in his image. And so he's created every single one of us creative, and when we are creative, we actually reflect the char- characteristics of the Father. So, um, so I wanted to kind of, in everything I do, I always hopefully grow or stretch what I would call my creativity um, lane, and I want to encourage you guys to do the same. So... This is the first little video and I'll explain why I'm showing it after. So that is Pollen Street and it is a Michelin-style restaurant in London. And uh, a friend of mine was the chef who opened it up and I remember we were sitting down chatting uh, over some food he cooked and as we were chatting we were just um, talking about uh, what it was like to open up a Michelin-style restaurant. I wanted to show you that because obviously it's a lot of hard work, it's a lot of long hours and there's a lot of people involved, a lot like our youth ministries. And uh, as we continued to chat, I could just see so many parallels. And I guess one of the main differences was this, is that a Michelin-style restaurant is like the best in the world. And the best restaurants in the world are striving to be Michelin-style restaurants. And they're all aiming with the same goal in sight. They know what excellence looks like. Uh, For us in youth ministry... I'm not saying today we're trying to be the best because you're not competing against other youth ministries. But I do feel like it is our job to aim for excellence, to make what we have the best it can be so that the young people who walk in can get the best experience. Um, ultimately, because when Jesus Christ was on earth, I believe that every single interaction he had with people, it was excellent. And, uh, and I want to talk a little bit more about this. Has anyone ever been to a Michelin-style restaurant? Okay, great. They're the rich people. They're the people that you want to hang out with. Michelin-star restaurants, are um, it's the best food. And uh, it's, it's, it's very expensive. Um, but I, I believe there's some parallels behind it. Let me, um, let me show you this little YouTube clip of how Michelin came around. And then uh, we'll go from there. There we go. So uh, if we put the stars up there. So one star is a very good restaurant in its category. Two is... Uh, excellent cooking, worth a detour. And three is exceptional cuisine, worth a special journey. And I know people who will save up all their money uh, for a special occasion and they'll fly over to Copenhagen to go to a Michelin-style restaurant because that's how much it means to them. What's the point of all this? When Jesus was on earth, people made a special journey to go and interact with Jesus, to go and hear from Jesus, just to, to see what it was all about. And uh, I wonder when you picture your youth ministry right now, do you feel like it'd be exactly the same with when Jesus was on earth? So if like crowds were like flocking to to see Jesus, to be around Jesus, is that what you see for your youth ministry right now? Uh, Because if people would make an exceptional journey to experience him, then why would they not now? Because the message is still the same. uh, The presence of God is still the same. What he does in our life is exactly the same. My question is, is, Are we actually communicating him and letting people know what he's about is exactly the same? Like, my prayer is that youth would make a special detour to come to our youth ministries. My prayer is that on a Friday night, instead of going down the park with a bottle of vodka, they go, actually, no, I'm going to go to youth tonight. I'm going to play a little bit of table tennis, I'm going to play some pool, I'm going to play chubby, chubby Bunnies, Mafia, I don't know, whatever games you've got going on. I'm going to interact with my youth leaders, but there's going to be something there. There's going to be a God encounter there. The thing is going to be so attractive to me that I'm going to miss the park and the vodka and go to youth because of what's there, and that is the presence of God. So I feel like everything we do is all about enabling young people to encounter Jesus Christ. And I believe today if we just look at the practical things that we can do to set that up, um, it will, like, if Jesus has done everything he needs to do, and I just feel like there's a whole lot of stuff that we can do, and that's the stuff I'm going to talk about. Now, Tim said the Bible could come later, yeah? This, this session isn't Bible, yeah? Yeah. So, so I'm not dropping any scripture in this. That's what I'm saying. So just in case you think, oh, this guy's from Hillsong, half hour hasn't even opened the word yet. I'm not going to in this one. Okay. So um, so here, here's the first thing that stood out about a uh, Michelin style restaurant they are highly personal. If you're taking notes, write that down. They are highly personal. From the moment you walk in, you're not one in a crowd. You're not queuing up. You're not like wondering if there's a seat. You know, from the moment you walk in, hello, sir. Hello, madam. How are you doing? Let me take your coat. Let me take you to your seat. It is highly personal. And uh, I believe that today, if we're going to actually build Michelin Star Youth Ministries the best that we can possibly build, we've got to think about each individual, each youth as individuals and think how can we make it personal to them. I love the conversation that I walked in on from your last session because the conversation that you're having was all about that young person. We're going to move this from the foyer to here. We're going to do this to here. Why? Because it's going to be personal for the young person. It's going to help the young person. If every single decision you make is about it being personal, then it's going to be about them. Not every young person might be known by name by you, but the the thing is that you want every single young person known by name by somebody. And as your youth ministry grows bigger and bigger and bigger, you need to be be okay with the fact that you are not going to know every single youth by name. And that's okay as long as you have people in place who do know them by name. You know, people come along to our church sometimes at Dominion Theatre. Uh, we have four services there. And I'm not going to say this stat from my from platform, but I'll say it just as youthfully as here. Across the day, across our churches, we'll see like over, I don't know, 12,000 people, whatever, come along. Now, but people, people say, yeah, but it's not a friendly church. There is no way it would ever grow to that size if it was not a friendly church. <laughs> It is the size it is because people come and they, they are connected. People come and there's community. Uh, in fact, if you walk through the doors, you'll probably be annoyed with the amount of people that come up to you and say hello and try and connect you into a church. But um, here's the thing Gary only knows a handful of names because Gary is a, our lead pastor. Because it's not actually sustainable for him to have relationships with everybody. And so we've just built it into our culture that it's not about knowing Gary. It's actually just about being in relationship with people in our church. And so thinking that way in your youth ministry is actually setting it up to be limitless in the size of its growth. The problem is today, um, our interaction uh, is through Facebook, is through social media, is through WhatsApp, is through emails. So it's so hard for us to actually be personal with one another, so hard for us to be personal with our, um, with our leaders and our youth. So let me ask you this question. When it comes to you getting information about today's event, did you get it via email uh, or did you get it via text or did you get a call or did you get a face-to-face invite? The most beautiful and authentic way to invite people to something is face-to-face. And uh, thinking about when you're seeing people and using that time to invite people face-to-face is how you can be personal. So if someone invites me to their birthday through a Facebook invite, I do not even reply. I just, I don't even, I don't even acknowledge it's their birthday. That is the most impersonal way to invite me to their birthday party by sending me a Facebook invite. But if someone calls me or sees me and says, hey, Dan, like I'm having a birthday party, do you want to come? Yeah, I'm going to be there. I'm going to put it in my diary. I'm going to bring you the big, nice present because I want to bless you because you're my friend. Personal knows people's birthdays. Personal knows what's going on in people's life. It's not just a name. It's actually you're doing life with people. So here's the thing. If you're going to be personal with the young people that walk through the doors, the question is, are you being personal with your team right now? Because if you're not personal with your team, don't ever expect them to demonstrate something that you're not doing with them. So do you know your team's birthdays? Do you know what they're going through? Do you know what their dreams are? Because as you are personal with your team, they will be personal with the young people. Because literally, they just they replicate what they see demonstrated. I want to put it to you that you are actually building the culture for your Michelin star youth ministry. I remember two years ago, I went to Brazil. And as we were driving to the conference, uh, we got lost. But the driver said, don't worry. We've got it sorted. I, uh, we've got, I've got a plan. We pulled over and he said, we're in a village where they love to give you directions. I'm like, what do you mean they love to give you directions? He's like, no. Seriously, like, they get really passionate about giving you directions. I'm like, mate, you want to come to London? It's like the opposite. They could be standing next to Big Ben and you'd be like, do you know where Big Ben is? They're like, no, no, no. And uh, so we pulled over, and this, this, Portuguese, this Brazilian guy who spoke Portuguese came running out, and he's like, we ask him for directions. And he, his face beams, massive smile. He's like, da-da-da-da, da-da-da, speaking all this Portuguese. And then he goes, wait here. Runs in, comes out with a map, gives us a map, like forever to keep. So he's like, this is yours. Then he runs back in, gets us some water, gives us two bottles of water, waves his hand, and off we go. I, could, I couldn't believe the experience we just had. I turned to my friend and I said, mate, why did he do that? Was he, was he looking for a tip? And he goes, no, nah, no, nah, he wasn't. I said, well, was it because he's trying to maintain this great reputation that the village has of helping people when they're lost? He goes, nah. I said, then why did he do it? He said he did it because he's grown up in a culture where that's all they know. Therefore, he doesn't know how to not do that because it's all he's ever been experienced to. You see, if you pulled up and uh, asked him for directions, he's not going to say no because he's watched his parents and his parents' parents. He's watched them do it, and so now that's what comes natural. That's how you build culture. You, you just live it out. You, you don't teach the culture, you just be the culture. And I want to encourage you to invest heavily in your team and making sure that you demonstrate that culture to them. You demonstrate being personal to them so that they will then implement that with the young people. Uh, I like this quote. It says, um, leadership is about creating a way for people to contribute to making something extraordinary happen. When you're recruiting for your team, trying to build team, and hopefully you are, because if you're going to have this limitless youth group, and I hope you're dreaming of thousands of young people getting to know Jesus Christ, you've got to build team. And as you build team, you're really making way for more young people to come in. That's the only way you can look out for them. But when you're recruiting people for team, how do you invite them? Do you just like do an announcement now and again? Hey, how you doing? Just so you know, we, we need more youth leaders. Thanks, church. Bye. Or are you actually having personal conversations with someone? And are you saying, uh, are you giving them an opportunity for them to create to something um, extraordinary? Like, how are you talking about your youth ministry? How does your team talk about your youth ministry? Hopefully, as they share the vision, as they share the mission, as they share what's going on, they're so passionate about it, it's contagious. And uh, I'm, I'm not like the recruiting person for team at, at Hillsong. Every single youth leader who is on team, their, their job, part of their role is to... Get people on team. And that's by going into the foyers. So yes, they've done their bit with the youth. And then they've said, bye youth. They've had their KFC. They've gone home. But then during the next service, they go into the foyers and they're meeting people. They're sharing the vision about the youth ministry. They're inviting people to be part of something extraordinary. And so I want to encourage you when it comes to being personal, how are you personally inviting people to join team? Because if you're just banging out an email saying, hey, come get involved. Don't be surprised when you have no one wanting to join the team. Share the heart and share it passionately. Number two highly motivated. You go into a Michelin-style restaurant, what you find is that all of the staff, they are highly motivated. They are driven themselves. They're not people who are sleeping in and snoozing their alarm five times. They're not people who are disorganized. They're not people who are, um, you know, going through life going, oh, I don't know whether I want to be a chef anymore. No, they're there and they're so grateful to be there. They are highly motivated because they know the goal that is at hand. And, um, When it comes to us building a Michelin star youth ministry, you really want to build a team which is highly motivated. And they've got this drive from the inside. And you're not having to push people to go the extra mile. You're not having to force people to go the extra mile. But there's just this thing within where they're just self-motivated. Now, the people with the right motivation are like the tide coming in, lifts everybody up. But the people with the wrong motivation, it drags everybody down. And so it's so important that you work out what their motivation is. Uh, Because here's the thing. People walk into a restaurant, and they get waited on. It's personal. They sit down, they eat the food, and it's an amazing experience. And then they think, oh, well, if this is the experience I'm getting, maybe that's what it's like on team. Maybe that's what it's like being a youth leader. I'm going to join the youth team because it's cool. It's community. It's fun. It's something to do. That's the wrong motivation. And they quickly get disillusioned when they find out that in every single restaurant, for you to have that restaurant experience, there is a kitchen. And in the kitchen, it is long hours. In the kitchen, it is working under pressure. In the kitchen, it is not always great. Sometimes it is colorful if you go into a kitchen. That's because they're working under pressure. For any Michelin star youth ministry to be able to provide this personal experience, which is amazing for young people, you've got to understand that behind the scenes, there is this kitchen where there's a load of youth leaders going the extra mile, a load of youth leaders doing everything they can to make it that experience. The dysfunction happens is when somebody joins team for them. They join team because they think, oh, maybe I'm going to find a partner. Maybe I'm just going to get connected. But actually joining, joining youth team for them is, is the wrong thing. You'll end up doing more damage than right. So you've got to find people with the right motivation, which leads us to how do you do that? Like, and maybe you're here today. And maybe you feel like your wire has become dry. You feel like you've lost the passion, you've lost the enthusiasm for youth ministry. In fact, a good indicator is every day you you keep snoozing your alarm and you don't have have the joy and the passion to get up and serve the youth. And that's a great indicator that actually you've lost the heart and you've lost the passion. And uh, it's funny because a lot of the CEOs and the most, let's just say, rich or successful people in the world they don't snooze five times a day no Richard Branson Usain Bolt all of these guys who the world deems as successful they easily get up because they're driven for fame or they're driven for money but 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 what we do is to build the kingdom and what we do is for the young people shouldn't our drive shouldn't our passion be even on a higher level than theirs and uh and so finding people with the right motivation is so important so this is how This is what's called the golden circle, and if you've been watching that Simon Sinek video that's gone viral, just bear with me because I know this is everywhere. Apple use the golden circle. It's the why, the how, and the what. They talk about why they do what they do, then they talk about how they do what they do, and then they talk about what they do. Put your hand in the air if if you're familiar with this. Great, so 50-50, so I'll just go through it real quick. Most organizations, if they were gonna sell your product, they wouldn't talk about the why first, they'd talk about the what. They say, we make cars. We make great cars. they got big wheels and great engines. Uh, How do we do it? We get them made in Japan, and we get this guy to make this thing. Why buy one? Because it's on sale, because it's a car. Most companies and organizations miss communicating the why. Therefore, all they ever do is talk about the what. But Apple did it differently. They talk about the why first. They say, we challenge the status quo. We think different. Then they talk about the how. We make desi- we make simple to use products, and then they talk about the what. We make laptops, watches, iPhones. Want to buy one? Yeah, we do. Not because of what they do, because we've bought into why they do it. I want to put it to you that young people do not care about what you do; they care about why you do it. They do not care about how much you know. They want to know whether you care. And so, actually, being able to know the why yourself and being passion, uh, get your passion and your fuel from the why is so important. When I when my why gets dry, and let's be honest there will be times when every single youth leader, your wire becomes dry because you just feel tired, you just feel lonely, you just feel like you're going through a season. This is what I do. I look at the statistics of the needs in the UK. This came from um, Childline. These are the top 10 reasons for calling Childline in 1986 to 87 and then in 2014 to 15. Now, what you can see if you go into the next slide is that a lot of those are exactly the same. All those years has gone past, but still the needs are exactly the same, which tells me that actually youth ministry isn't that much different from 10 years ago, 20 years ago, but actually just being aware that it's the same root issue, but we just need to be effective in how we deal with the issue, which looks slightly different. But I look at these, and I look at family situations, low self-esteem, bullying, uh, self-harm, suicide, friendship, sexual Like I look at this stuff, and I'm like, man... I don't care how much of a difference I make, but I'm just going to play my part to try and help some of these needs. Um, this other one came out from the Prince's Trust in 2017. What they've pretty much find, found, if I just summarise this, that it's a generation that feels out of control. It's a, it's a generation that is lacking in, in self-confidence more than ever. It's a generation that has self-doubt and feels trapped I don't know about you, but when I read statistics like this, it breaks my heart and it fuels my enthusiasm to, uh, to throw it back into making a difference. Um, these are some of the key findings that they found. They found that half of young people, 48% experienced problems during their school or college years that prevented them from focusing on their studies. More than a quarter of young people, 28% do not feel in control of their lives. and You can screenshot that or see that, but all of these goes, all of these goes on like... As leaders, we need to be the ones who can find the why ourselves and find the motivation ourselves. And if you're waiting for someone to sit you down, your accountability partner, and they'll wait in because they've seen your face, they've seen your body language, they've seen that the the youth ministry is like... Getting smaller and smaller, and they have to sit you down and say, Do you still want to do this? Is your heart still in this? Like, like, that's the worst scenario. We shouldn't be cool with that situation. We should be leaders who, like David, we delight ourselves in the Lord. We find the why ourselves so that we can start every day driven for a cause which is much greater than ourselves. Highly motivated. The next one is highly collaborative. I'm speeding through a lot of this time, a lot of this because it's just, it's good. Um, <laughs> highly collaborative. Uh, Michelin star youth ministries are highly collaborative. They know people's strengths and they know people's weaknesses. They are aware that there is a head chef, there is a, uh, a sous chef, and there is someone washing dishes. And they are aware that everybody has a role to play, whether it's in the limelight or whether it's in the shadows. Everyone contributes and collaborates to get the job done. And I truly believe that when it comes to us building Michelin Star youth ministries, we need to know how to collaborate. We need to know how to work together. And we need to make sure that everybody isn't just trying to be the preacher on the platform, trying to get five minutes of stardom. If youth ministry became about the 10 minutes or 30 minutes of preaching, it would all like if if, if everyone is just focused on that, then there's not going to be a future in the youth ministry. We know it's 95%. One-on-one, discipleship, doing live leadership, building, going the extra mile, helping young people, turning up at the football games, speaking to parents. It's, it's 10% of the preaching. But we need to make sure that as we communicate with our team, the one thing that we don't always honor and value from the platform is just preaching. Do you know what I mean? Or is just the stuff that's in the limelight. You see, what is, uh, what's, what's celebrated is what's replicated. So whenever we do team stuff like this, we pull out volunteers and we just want to say, hey, we just want to give honor to this volunteer because they did da-da-da, da-da-da, da-da-da. And it has nothing to do with what was on the platform. It was always about the serving that was in the shadows. But the, the thing that I want everyone to see is that it's not built on the gifts and skills of few. It's built on the sacrifice of many. And collaboration is so key. Check out this. This is Massimo... Batura, he's a chef. Check out what he says about working together. So um, I think that is what beautiful collaboration looks like. And uh, the first key is that you want to build a culture where you can turn an epic fail into an epic win. So there, one of the people that was working under him made a mistake. He dropped the dessert, like big fail, right? But in came the leader, said, no, no, look at this, look at this differently. And because they both worked together, they collaborated, and they managed to turn it around. This is apparently how the Eaton Mess dessert actually came about. In Eaton, they made uh, strawberries and meringue. One of them tripped up. They mashed it all together and served up Eaton Mess. Uh, But collaboration is key, and uh, it actually takes us working together. So if you want to know whether you have a healthy team dynamic of collaboration, you just need to ask yourself, does the blame game take place? So right now if there's a fail and who knows what the fail could be like. It's like someone hasn't done the right job with technology and so now, um, you know, the worship experience can't take place too. Someone forgot to tell a young person that we we're changing venues to Somebody forgot to, um, you know, just to, just to come through with what they, what they promised. Like the amount of mistakes is, is endless. The moment the mistake happens, is it the blame game? Is it like, oh, no, it's not my fault, it was them, it was them, it was them? If you got the blame game, then you have not got a culture of healthy collaboration. Because what happens with healthy collaboration is when someone drops the ball, when someone makes a mistake, everybody jumps in saying, that's okay, you did that, let's, let's do this, let's come up with this solution, and the team jumps in to make it a win. Because they know it's not about them, it's about the young people. So that's what healthy collaboration looks like. The second thing that you can do is create platforms to fail. Uh, create platforms to fail. Um, there are some areas in life where there is zero tolerance to fail. Uh, a pilot, when I get on my EasyJet flight to go on my one-week holiday to Spain, <laughs> I'm not cool with that pilot failing. <laughs> um, when, uh, let's just say, I had to have some heart surgery, uh, I would not be cool with that surgeon failing when he's doing some heart surgery. There's some areas in life where there is zero tolerance to fail. But can we just realize why they hardly ever fail? It's because they've had at least seven years of training. And over those seven years of trailing, do you know what they've done? They've had a go, they've failed. They've had a go, they failed. They've had a go, failed. They've got flight simulators. They've got test bodies. And because they've failed so many times, now they hardly ever fail. It's amazing that people can join youth team and join our ministry and then we have this like level of excellence. But what happens is instead of having a level of excellence for the youth ministry, we have a level of excellence when it comes to when it comes to like failure. And what it does, it creates this place where people feel like they can't fail. And that's why their response is to do the blame day. So what we need to do is set up platforms for our team to fail. So like the pilot would have like a, uh, a flight simulator. What would be the equivalent for you? So if you're training someone... With responsibility and leadership, you, you're not going to give them a massive conference, a massive responsibility overnight, but you're going you're to give them something small. And when they're faithful with that, you don't leave them to it. You don't just delegate and then dump it on them and go, good luck. You're actually coaching them through it and helping them um, develop. And then if they do fail, they've failed once you've, once you've been with them in a scenario which you've allowed to happen. So what can you set up? knowing that your leaders may well fail in this area, but no young person is going to miss out on anything because of it, because you've set it up. So it's actually going to help them and grow them. And then the third one, your level of conversation dictates your level of collaboration. And uh, if it comes to uh, communication and conversation, 5% is words, 45% is body language, and 50% is tone of voice. So right now everybody is listening to what I'm saying through this microphone. But only five five percent of what you listen to is actually my words. You're also taking in my body language, and you're also taking in my tone of voice. So, for example, I could say, "Hey, everyone, um, I'm just so excited about Limitless. Like, it's it's just wicked what you guys are doing, and um, you know, I just I just want you to know, I'm with you." Like If I'd I'd started like that from the beginning, you would have gone, oh, this guy doesn't seem very passionate, or this guy doesn't seem very enthusiastic, but whatever perception you've picked up of me right now has actually come through my body language and my tone of voice. Likewise, even though you have not said anything, right now I've read your body language. In my head, there is this picture that I have of every single one of you as individuals, whether you're enthusiastic, whether you're not, whether you're leaning in, whether you're not, and it's all to do with what your body posture and your body language right now, whether you're smiling or not, whether you're taking notes or not, it doesn't really matter at the, at the the day, this is just your listening posture, you know, but, but it's something worth thinking about, like, because this is something that we, how we, we think so much about our communication to someone, but we never really think about our posture when we are receiving communication. What I mean is, today is such a, an important day for collaboration. You could be having so many great conversations with so many youth leaders from the UK. In fact, that one bit of gold that God wants to do in your youth ministry probably won't even come from this platform. It'll come from the conversation during lunch. But the question is, is is your conversation going to lead to that collaboration? When you're meeting someone, are you enthusiastic? Are you, are, you, are you engaged in that conversation? Do you care about that person? Or are you just there with your opinion? Do you care more about your opinion than the relationship? There's so many great social skills that come down to collaboration. And as youth leaders, I think it's important that we actually think about this. Um, I know for me, my my resting, listening face is like, it looks pretty angry. Yeah, When I go to the cinema and I'm watching a movie, like, I look like I'm angry with the movie. Um, but what I realized is that when I when I when I realized like, my wife told me she was preaching once and she said, "Hey, have you ever seen your face when I'm speaking?" I'm like, "No, obviously not." She says, "She says it's not helpful," and uh, and so um, I've changed my posture when I'm listening now, so that whoever's preaching, whoever's communicating, they know that I'm engaged. So now, like, it's out of my comfort zone, but I'm like leaning in. I'm nodding. I'm, yeah, I'm with you. Is it a little bit uncomfortable? Yeah, it is. But does it give a body language of collaboration to that preacher? Yeah, it does. And I think for us, we don't need to follow what we have watched go before us. We're actually setting new culture for the next generation. So being aware of this stuff is important. Uh, Number four, highly organized you go into any Michelin star restaurant, they are highly organized. They have the right people in the right place doing the right thing at the right time. They have systems and structures. They have policies and procedures. I don't know about you, but sometimes we think that youth ministry is just doing a risk assessment for a camp away, and that's the one bit of admin, and then that's it. As long as we just tick the box, do the risk assessment, and then we're good to go. Coffees, hangouts, etc. But... Um, Actually, if you want to build a world-class youth ministry, not one which is like, hey, we're the best, but one that actually, I believe, represents... the best experience for the young people, it means that you are highly organized. You have systems and structures. You have an org chart. You can, you can look at your team. You know, this person is doing this because it's their skill. And this person is doing this because this is their gifting. You know their team and you know their role. And you've actually delegated based on, on them and, and what they can bring to the table. So it's about them flourishing. It's about them growing. It's about them developing. Um, it's funny because um, when, it, when it comes to us, one of the things that, i'm really keen on when it comes to being highly organized is stats numbers and uh in luke 15 it's the story of the lost sheep and when the shepherd counts them and uh, obviously he doesn't just round them up and go right i think there's about 99 here or 100 here like the only way he knows one sheep's gone missing is because he's counted right so the point i'm getting at is that the shepherd counts because he cares about the sheep now um one of the things that gets thrown away is, around is like oh yeah it's all about the numbers it's all about the numbers It's not about the numbers, it's about the health. And if you don't actually know the numbers, you don't know the health. So there's four KPIs, which is key performance indicators. We call them dashboard numbers. If you're driving your car, the dashboard numbers are the most important numbers. So it's like your speed, your petrol, whatever, how many miles you've gone. KPIs, dashboard numbers, Um, I want to know these of our youth ministry across campus, and there's four of them. I want to know how many connect groups, small groups we have, which is where the discipleship happens. I want to know the attendance of the small groups. I want to know how many leaders we have on team, and I want to know the attendance of gatherings. They're the only four numbers I really care about, and when I can see those four numbers, I know the health of our youth ministry. What it's allowed me to do is look from 2016 to 2010, and I can see the trends. I can see when the youth dips. When it dips, because it's summer. When it dips, because it's exam time. I know that for youth ministry, we have to change it. We need to do something new to deal with that dip. Uh, And a lot of the time, we will go the extra mile, we'll do something double as big, double as exciting to make sure that it doesn't just become a dip and that's it. Oh, It's just a dip season, it's just everyone goes away, we do nothing. Actually, we're going to do something amazing, we're going to do something above and beyond so that actually we don't see this consistent dip, but we're going to keep building, going to keep having momentum. See, if you're a football team and you want to know whether you have momentum, it goes win, win, draw, win, win, draw. If you're a football team without momentum, it goes loss, loss, draw, loss, loss, draw, right? The point in youth ministry is that I want to see win, win, draw, win, win, draw. I want us to have momentum. I want us to be growing. The only way we can do that is by me seeing the stats and when there is a dip, me looking at why is there a dip and then bringing health towards the dip. Does that make sense? We managed to do this thing called trending, where because we put in all the stats from 2010 to 2016, we can now see the forecast of where our youth ministry will be in 2020. I know if we keep growing at the same rate, how many people will attend our conference, how many youth leaders we have, how many people will be in connect groups, um, and how many – anyway, the four KPIs, I can see all those numbers in 2020 – And I watch, I'm like, flip, that's going to be amazing when we get there. But what we can do now is see the patterns, see the trends. And the biggest number that I got was that our conference had crazy big numbers. But the, the discipleship in group wasn't as big growth because our conferences are growing way more than our connect groups. So the big focus this year was connect groups. We're doing... If there's 52 weeks, in, 52 weeks in a year, let's make every single connect group on a Friday night amazing. What can we do? We're going to do Fry Friday. Fry is Friday. So we're now we're doing chips, cheesy chips, curly chips on that Friday night. It's not healthy, but we're just doing it. It's just a gimmick. Mm-hmm. The next one we're doing, right, it's, it's Mexican. This one we're doing this thing. This one is Valentine's. This one is Easter. Like we, we mapped out 52 Friday nights or 52 connect groups, and we thought, what is the wow factor about each one? So now we're putting our energy into the area, which was a becoming a, a thing of weakness and we can only do that because we are highly organized and we've got the numbers so hopefully if you're a youth minister you will actually just care about the numbers so you can see the trends the other thing it does is sets yourself up to hand over to the next generation so Moses he had a right hand and he had a duplicate his right hand was Aaron he didn't like public speaking, so Aaron spoke for him. And then Joshua, he was the duplicate. He was the one that took them into the promised land. I hope the dream and the ambition and the goal that you have for your youth ministry is not just something that you're going to see happen in your lifetime, but you're actually knowing that another youth leader is going to take the baton on from you. By being highly organized and documenting, documenting everything having a youth manual this is how we this is our onboarding policy or this is our mission statement this is how we do our team by actually documenting all of this kind of stuff when it comes to handing over to the next leader that's going to take on from you you're like here this is how we do things do what you want from it but i just wanted to set yourself up for win for a win it's amazing how much youth ministry in the uk is set up like it's a, a job in the secular society where someone does it and then they're like yep yeah, I'm called to start a church in Barbados, I'm out, put a job in the magazine, someone else comes in, no history, no background in that church, no understanding of the culture and the DNA, and then they just start from scratch. And then every single youth leader just starts from scratch, starts from scratch. But actually, if you are highly organized and you document how you do the youth ministry, whether they, whether they carry on with what you've built is up to them, but ultimately what you're doing is just, you're setting them up for a win. Otherwise, all you're doing is a hospital pass. And in hospital pass, in rugby, you throw the ball, a player gets sip, but then straight away they get tackled because it wasn't a good pass, and you set them up to fail. So actually, by being highly organized, you're thinking about the next youth leaders. You're thinking about generation after generation after generation. Last one is Michelin Star. Michelin Star uh, restaurants are highly innovative. Now, this is an in-word at the moment. Innovation is a very kind of cool word, innovation, imagination, collaboration. But the, the word innovation just means this. It means uh, the action or process of a new method or ideas. Um, change, alteration, transformation, metamorphosis, renovation. Here's the thing. Innovation is a fruit. And it is a fruit of those first four things that we just spoke about. Sometimes we think innovation is about you coming up with this massive idea like inventing the wheel and uh, you need to go away into the hills, you need to take your Bible and your notepad, don't take any phones, switch off from the world and let God give you a brand new idea, that's innovation. I guess that could be a form of innovation but what I find is, is a lot more effective and what I see is a reality is that innovation is small eye, not big eye. You do those first four things and once that's all set up, what happens is that you keep just seeing little things that could just be tweaked, 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 which actually causes fruit. It's like the little changes. Sometimes people won't make us sing and dance about them, but they're the little changes which are effective. Check out this video. This is Massimo, last video from him. There we go. I love that. I just, I, love, I can listen to how he talks to Tortellini. Anyone hungry? I'm hungry. Um, here you go. So, chef michelin style restaurant. He's kept the ingredient the same. He just changed the style. He just changed the way he served it. He innovated. michelin style restaurants are so innovative. They innovate the menu. They have to keep innovating. They will not just keep serving the same thing over and over again. Now, what he what he did is he kept the ingredients the same, but he just changed the way he he actually he actually gave the food for us as youth leaders I believe we keep the message the same we just need to innovate the method we keep the the substance the same we just innovate the style now what is the thing of substance it's the word of God from the moment Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth and demonstrated the good news and the gospel those things stay exactly the same from generation to generation everything else is there to be innovated and it is our job as youth leaders to innovate them but don't try and innovate them if you haven't done the first four things first because innovation is the fruit from those things there was a lady called Sarah and uh, she went home for Christmas and she said mom I'm 25 now I think it's about time I learn how to cook a nice Christmas dinner so her mom was cooking it and then uh, her mom cut off the legs of the turkey uh, and put it in the oven Sarah goes to mum, mom, mom why did you always cut the legs off the turkey she said oh because um, that's just the way you do it it's just we just do it like that okay so it's family tradition this is how we do it she said fine Anyway, Christmas, um, the dinner came around and Nan came over and they were all sitting around the table. Sarah's mum leaned over to Nan and said, Hey Nan, I was just wondering, um, why do we cut the, the legs off the turkey? And then Nan went, oh, well, it's because uh, the turkey never used to fit in my oven, so I had to cut off the legs. <laughs> Uh, And see what happened is Sarah had watched her nan do that and now she had done it even though her oven was more than big enough to accommodate the full turkey and now she was handing that on to the next generation and when she was asked why she didn't know she just said that's the way we do things. Isn't that a picture of the church today? stuff gets handed down from generation to generation now the beautiful thing about our generation is that we are asking why and in fact people will say we ask it too much we're like why are we doing it like this why do we do it like that why are we doing like that but it's actually an asset that the next generation is asking why Uh, because if we can ask why we can see things differently you know lego Uh, an organization that have managed to innovate in such an amazing way. My grandparents had Lego, my parents had Lego, I had Lego. And in February, I I really want to go and watch Batman Lego movie that comes out. It looks amazing. But Lego have innovated in such a way in which they've been relevant to every generation. I feel like in our hands, we have the potential to innovate, not the message, but the method, so that the gospel will be will be relevant to every single generation. And the question is, with what you have in your hand right now, are you innovating it in a way and so it is accessible? Because what is accessible to your teenagers is different to what is accessible to my teenagers. I know the culture, and I know the needs, and you know your culture, and you'll know your needs. So we can come together and talk about heart. But when it comes to the practical realities of innovation, this is something you need to go away, and you need to go away and think about. Now, when you have this innovative idea, you're going to want to go running to your lead pastor, your senior leader, whoever, and you say, Hey, I've come up with this idea. It's going to change the world. You're going to change everything on a Sunday. And what happens is sometimes they don't, they don't want to change straight away. They don't want to implement the change. And you can say, Yeah, but it's about the young people. But they, they don't want to change. The key is that when it comes to change, we speak to our leaders in a place out of honor and respect, and gratitude, and we care more about the relationship than we do about the opinion, and actually, we take our leaders on a journey, and we sometimes, we ask why, and if sometimes they say yes, innovate, go, we go praise the Lord, and we go for it, and if sometimes they say no, sometimes you just have to suck it up, and live with it, and innovate the other areas that you can live with, it is such a great thing that our generation is asking why, but it is also an opportunity to cause the biggest divide of ever because all it is, is all all we become is some narcissistic, egotistic youth leaders who think we've got the best way of doing youth ministry. Trust me, another ten years there'll be another generation who think they're doing it better than us. This is the question: Will we be sacrificial in style in ten years' time, in twenty years' time, in thirty years' time, in forty years' time? Because if we can start that. Uh, Culture now. If we can build this culture of sacrificial with style leaders, then we won't have the problem that we're seeing today. My nan goes to church in stained glass windows, she sings hymns. There is no one under the age of 50 in that church. That church will become extinct if they don't change and innovate. What would change it is if all 50 of the 60 to 80 year old people who are there said, you know what? We don't want the other style. We don't want the new way of worship. We don't want Tim Hughes and acoustic guitar. We don't want four songs or five songs together. We want stand-up, sit-down hymns. But actually, we're going to be sacrificial with style for the next generation. If they made that decision, there'd be hope for the church. Because they wouldn't be changing the message. They'd just be changing the method. See, we've just started doing DJ worship. Believe it or not, this, what you see here, this is old school already you look at the music that so is in the top charts it's all dj it's all tunes so we do now some dj worship and it's just a praise pie it's still christian it is christian lyrics we're singing about jesus but the the method has changed the instrument has changed but already i'm finding 25 year old youth leaders when we just do dj worship with them no youth are like no nah, i don't want this i want i want matt remin matt remin and blessed be your name you know i want you know you know because because we we've We've had our first God experience with a certain style, even we become attached to that certain style, so much so that we start holding on to it. but the key for us is to be able to be sacrificial with the style, be aware that the style, style will keep changing as long as we can hold truth, hold true to the message, the gospel of Christ. What does that look like? What does that look like in 10 years, 20 years' time? i got no idea. There might not be instruments, it might just be iPads. There might not be animation, it might be 3D glasses. It might be a lot more of like, whoa, like whale noises. Who knows what it's gonna look like in the future. But if that person is singing it to give glory to God, then it is worship. And who are we to point the finger and say that's not worship? Let's be leaders who are who are living out Corinthians 2 verses 2 verses 9. No eyes seen, no ears heard, no mind has imagined what God has planned for those that love him. You know. God really could do something unlimited in the UK. And, and people say, no, we can't get passionate in church, but I watch Parliament, I watch the Houses of Common, I watch people go, here, here, yes, yes. Like, people are passionate about politics, people are passionate about all sorts of things. And I believe, like, if you wanted to, there's no reason why we couldn't bring or unleash passion back in church, and I know it fa- sounds weird sometimes, I know it feels awkward for someone to preach the word of God, and us to be like, yes, yeah, good, I remember the first time I walked into Hillsong, I sat at the back, and they were on the front row, and they're like, hmm, good preaching, yes, yeah, good, I'm like, someone handed out like chocolates on the front row or something, like it's like, what's going on here, but then I realized that actually, church can be whatever we want it to be, do you know what I mean? Like if, as long as it holds true to the gospel, as long as it holds true to the message, it can be whatever we want. So I want to encourage you for the rest of the day, have the conversations. We could do this, we could do that, but don't, don't box and don't limit anything today. And just imagine what youth ministry could look like. Like, how could, how could you change the game? How could you blow everything out of the water? And what could God do in a way that he's never done it before? And if you go back and it freaks your team out, and if you go back and it freaks some people out, that's good. I believe you've been heading in the right direction. Cool? Cheers thanks for listening to the limitless leadership podcast we want to make sure that the limitless leadership podcast is tackling the issues that affect you in youth ministry so email us at info at to let us know the issues you'd like us to discuss stay in touch with us on social media we're at limitless elam on twitter instagram snapchat facebook and youtube don't forget to subscribe to the podcast through itunes or however you get your podcast. See you next time.